Welcome to the Gym Session, brought to you by Sportsmate Mobile and Footy Live. It's time to chat all things football with your host, Jimmy Sabo. This is the Gym Session podcast, but this is not Jimmy Sabo speaking. This is Nick Guglielmino. I'm filling in for the great man while he is away, because like those personal trainers always say, there's no excuse not to fit in that one gym session for the week. And there's certainly no slacking about here at Sportsmate HQ, because we've lined up a special guest to join us today and we're going to get straight into it. Okay, so today's guest is a Hawthorne Hall of Famer. He's a notable member in the Hawks team in the century, largely thanks to his contributions as a four-time premiership player throughout the 1980s. He's also a three-time All-Australian. He booted 293 goals over 154 games in the brown and gold. Also loved to take a hanger or two as well. In fact, Alan Jeans famously described him as Hawthorne's best big game player. He's also made a significant contribution to WA football, two-time state of origin captain, WA football hall of famer, and a former coach of the Sydney Swans as well. He's done it all really, and if that wasn't enough for you, he's now widely regarded as the recruiting guru for his role played in building the foundations of Hawthorne's latest dynasty. An absolute legend of the game in every sense of the word. I'm talking about none other than the great Gary Bacanara. Gary, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you onto the show. Yeah, nice to be with you, Nick. Did you, I mean, that that's a great list of uh, accolades you've got there. Did you ever think you would be able to form the career you did in football since you first started all those years ago at Subiaco? Well, yeah, look, um, at the end of it, you know, you, you never know what's in front of you. And, um, yeah, my uh, path to Subiaco was a bit different. I was more interested in cricket as a, you know, 16, 17-year-old. Uh, I was playing first-grade district cricket at that time. Um, and, um, you know, footy was just a bit of fun with my mates and um, my brother, at a, a, a E grade amateur side, so um, I had three years playing in that um, uh, amateur uh, competition, and then um, eventually I was talked into coming down and having a run at Subiaco, and everything went from there. So uh, cricket then had to take a bit of a back step. Well, look, thank God you did uh, take up footy because you. Uh did your juniors, juniors and you arrived at Glenferry Oval in 1982 and what a time to arrive there as well because, I mean, at the time, Hawthorne had just three premierships to their name and for most part of their 50-year-odd existence was oh, looked pretty much rubbish. But you happened to walk in just as they were about to embark on a long-awaited golden era in the club's history. So how lo- lucky were you? Yeah, look, very fortunate, uh, you know, it was a form four system back then where um, every uh, VFL club got two form fours per year to sign interstate players on and it wasn't such uh, a draft and, you know, the better uh, interstate players generally wanted to go to the, you know, bigger clubs and the clubs at the top of the ladder so you could play in finals. So to walk into Hawthorne at that time in 1982 and, you know, uh, be a part of eight grand finals in nine years was amazing. And, you know, to, you know, to play in four of them, and and, and, I, and unfortunately we lost one, but it's still a pretty good record. Yeah, exactly right. And in just your second year, you had uh, a premiership medal around your neck and that grand final in 1982, didn't it still didn't go according to plan because you did your knee early on in that game against Essendon. Um did, how much did that affect you uh, going forward? 
Yeah, look, um, yeah, 83 grand final that was against Essendon and it lasted three minutes and it probably took me the best part of two years, 1984 and 1985, to, to get over that and gain confidence back in my ability to be able to jump and uh, do the things that I did before because it was a bit of a different injury. Uh, not many have uh, had heard of it. There's been a few since. Um, in snap patella tendon. So, um, you know, it's uh, quite a different injury and it was a different injury to treat at the time. So there was a lot of challenge in, in rehabbing it and getting the strength back and, and more importantly, getting my confidence. And, uh, yeah, it took the best part of two years and um, I missed both the 84 and 85 grand final. So, uh, unfortunately, the club lost both of them and... Uh, I came and returned back and got my first opportunity to play a full game and get my uh, medallion on the ground instead of in hospital. And, uh, yeah, it was a great experience. Mm. And it, it didn't take you long to get back to your best footy either because you were all Australian in 85 and 86. And obviously Hawthorne won the premiership in 86 as well. So, And you kicked four goals in that grand final. So was there a bit, bit more of a sense of uh, accomplishment after 86? Yeah, look, uh, the journey had been a very hard one. Um, you know, um, it took, uh, you know, a, a fair toll on me, especially initially, the disappointment in 83 of, you know, doing the knee in my first grand final and, um, you know, never knowing whether you're going to get that chance again. So to be there in um, uh, on grand final day and, you know, um, last the game, you know, make a contribution, uh, playing pretty well and and actually getting your medallion on the ground and doing the lap of honour with the boys and sharing the excitement in the rooms after, you know, that, you know, it was, um, you know, it made all the hard work worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then 97 rolled around and whenever 97's brought up, everyone, I think, automatically just thinks of that preliminary final against Melbourne where uh, Jim Steins, the late great Jim Steins, uh, infamously ran through the mark to gift you a 15-metre penalty and bring you within kicking distance. And I say kicking distance, but I think you would have had the distance covered it anyway from where you're at. And obviously, you sent Hawthorne into the grand final with that winning goal. So can you talk us through that moment? Because I think, it was, was it Russell Green said something in your ear? Was it Russell yeah. Green? Yeah, it was 87, not 97. Yeah, oh, did I, did I say Prolonging my career. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> prolonging no, I, my I did, career I, a bit there. I did mean 87. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, look, um, I hadn't actually heard the siren and I was sort of in the process of trying to get the ball on quickly or, you know, because I knew, you know, must, the siren must be imminent. And, you know, I, I, I thought I could kick the, the, the goal and... Um, uh, as I uh, got that 15 metre penalty, as I'm walking forward, you know, to go to about you know 40 metres out, um, Russell Green puts his arm around the shoulder and said, "For God's sake, Bucky, kick the goal! The siren's gone." And uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, probably don't need that sort of thing because I didn't hear the siren, and not many did. And um, at that point, then I knew I had to kick the goal because uh, I wouldn't get a draw. I had to kick the goal for a win, and um, yeah, it was um, it was a great moment. You know, they're, they're the moments down the park as a little kid that we all used to kick the footy and kick for goals. And you know, as you 
you had one final pick before you had to go home to have tea, and it was always to win a grand final. And, uh, um, you know, it was in a preliminary final, so um, it was a great moment personally. Mm, mm. And uh, unfortunately that year in 87, you uh, didn't, uh, Hawthorne didn't have the luck to get over the line in the grand final, but as they say, you know, uh, a loss in a grand final, the disappointment is a massive driver for future success, and that's exactly what happened to Hawthorne because uh, the next two years the Hawks go back-to-back and you're a part of it as well, uh, a big part of it. Was that was that 89 grand final, and I haven't got my years mixed up this time, was that 89 mm-hmm. grand final uh, the best game you ever played in? Well, from a spectacle point of view, it just about had everything. You know, you had uh, G. Ablett, you know, taking big marks and kicking unbelievable goals, kicking, you know, I think it was nine goals um, for Geelong, uh, nearly being the difference between, you know, us winning and losing. He uh, was amazing uh, that day, but, you know, we had great contributors all over the field. It was tough. It was hard. And I've always thought it'd be a fantastic um, uh, video to give to Michael Christian today to uh, do an, um, a review on, um, MRP um, review, and see how many players would have got suspended. Because I reckon a lot would have um, in today's uh, rules and regs. It was just tough and hard and, you know... Um, you know, we, we we hung in there. There was a lot of injured players and, um, you know, not only on our side, I think they had a few injuries as well. So the actual story and the toughness of that game makes it one of the better games I've played in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then 1990, uh, the end, did you have any regrets on ending your career at that point or did you know the time was up? Well, uh, time was up, unfortunately, uh, you know, uh, through the operations that I had uh, on my knees. Uh, I had a, a number of operations and clean-up operations, and in the end, it was bone-on-bone. And I just knew I couldn't play at the level that I wanted to play at uh, anymore. So, unfortunately, uh, you know, I would have liked to have played another two or three years more, and um, but... Uh, that wasn't the case, and um, yeah, I decided, um, you know, that uh, the need just not going to allow me to play at the level that I want. Yeah, yeah, it was unfortunate, but uh, I think I, spe- I can speak on behalf of a few people. When uh, one door closes, another opens, and uh, you you became Sydney coach not long after, um, and it was probably I mean, you walked into a bit of a furnace at the time at Sydney because. They definitely weren't the club they were today. They are today. Um, it, what do you recall from your time at the Swans back then? We'll be back after a quick break.
um, the Swans, uh, you know, were privately owned and uh, it got to a stage where those owners were sick of putting their hands in their pocket, you know, because uh, running and owning a, an AFL team, uh, even back then, was a very expensive exercise. And, um, you know, uh, the things that I, you know, in hindsight, should have... Uh, uh, inquired about was, you know, the financial stability, you know, the um, the football spend and all that sort of mm. thing. And um, there was no limits on what a club could pay, whereas at the moment I think there's a limit of 95%. All clubs have to spend 95% at least of the salary cap. Uh, back then there was no such thing. So the Swans owners would only spend 50% of the salary cap which made it very hard to attract players and, um, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you know, building a list that would be competitive. Uh, they had no training infrastructure as such, you know, mm. even after being in Sydney for 10 years, there was no training infrastructure. And, you know, you'd go to the uh, Botanic Gardens and I'd get kicked off, you know, <laughs> because yeah. I didn't have permission to train the footy team there. So, it was a really tough uh, gig and uh, one that was uh, destined not to uh, not to work. And um, yeah, in the end, I, you know, I was probably relieved to be out of there because I knew I wasn't going to be able to help, and uh, it would require the AFL to step in as they did and you know pump money into it and um, get some players to go there and mm. you know some better facilities and you know. But I did do a couple of things. I did find the training venue for them at the Randwick Army Barracks, uh, which I I still think they used for a number of years um, after me. Um, and I recruited Darren Creswell and Andrew Dunkley mm. from Videos Tasmania, and they were both Team of the Century players, and I made Paul Kelly captain. So absolutely. I did a few things uh, for them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And your latest contribution to footy um, – was your time at Hawthorne in the role as recruiting manager and uh, that famous 2004 draft that saw the likes of Roughhead, Franklin, Lewis brought to the club. Um, what was your... Because I've read through uh, Ruffy's book and apparently he was off to Richmond. Um, but obviously, as it turned out, he ended up at Hawthorne. So what exactly, what exactly transpired there? Yeah, look... Um you know, you've got to use your information as part of uh, recruiting and, you know, getting to the pointy end is when the draft is understanding what other clubs uh, are likely to do and finding out information as much as you can. Um, and um, we found out that uh, Richmond had invited uh, Ruffy to um, uh, a president's uh, luncheon for all the new draftees and uh, his family and whatever and, you know, we we had three picks, you know, two, five and seven and we knew Richmond would go um, with Deledio and uh, if we had a gone with Franklin, we knew that they were going to take Roughhead with pick four. So we um, we took Roughhead with pick two and um, we'd heard that they'd gone a bit cool on Buddy um, <laughs> and uh, they, they took Richard Tambling um, and we took Buddy with five, and then we got because uh, Clarko wanted to try and get two key positioners, 
potential key position players with the first two picks and try and get a you know a midfielder of quality with the third pick and and uh, yeah it all worked to plan. Mm, and the rest is history. Um, yeah, I, I know you're an advocate for accurate goal kickers because you yourself were one. You never let a chance slip up. So. Funnily enough, Ruffhead and Franklin both had their fair share of struggles early in the career, especially Buddy with his um, unnatural or unorthodox arc in his run-up. Was that ever a factor when uh, selecting these players? Did it ever turn you off or the club? No. No, no. Look, um, it, it is interesting to see the struggles of players even today in front of goals. And it comes back to... Look, everybody's kicking style is different. Everybody's style is their own style, and it's a matter of perfecting your style. Now, Buddy had a, a big arc and whatever, but he'd pretty much perfected it. You know, like mm. he had to, he had to make some changes to it. Um, and Ruffy was a bit the same. You know, they they all try to do this different kicking style when they get in front of goal and have a set shot, and that's what the players do today. You know, they. They, they run in straight and they're told, you know, to kick through straight. But sometimes that's unnatural uh, to their own kicking ability. And I've always uh, been an advocate that you perfect what your kicking style is because everyone's different. So long as you can kick it straight, you know, all you do is practice, practice, practice what feels comfortable and what is natural to you because you watch most footballers today, they can run around under pressure and hit targets 40 metres away, yet... 30 metres out directly in front, they can't kick a goal mm. um, because they change their kicking style um, uh, for a set shot. And, uh, you know, uh, Buddy and Ruffy were a bit that way themselves. Um, and But in the end, you know, uh, Buddy kicked 100 goals in a season. So, he, yeah. you know, he missed a lot. He could have kicked a lot more. But, um, yeah, both were great contributors in front of goal and as key position players. Mm, I think he kicked 70-odd behinds in that year. He kicked 100. So, yeah, yeah. Who, who knows? Who knows what could have happened? But, yeah, yeah you're a- absolutely right. Um, do you, So, your time at Hawthorne um, for the second time ended after 11 years, I believe, as in the role of list manager or recruiting manager. Um, did Was there any bad blood uh, towards Clarkson or the club at the time when you um, – when you stopped your role at Hawthorne? Oh, no, no. Look, there wasn't bad blood. In the end, I just got, um, you know, I just got disappointed that, um, you know, I I felt like I was just being taken for granted and part of the furniture and, um, you know, there were people, you know, being elevated above me, um, into other positions where I thought I could have uh, been given the opportunity, given the service and what I'd done. And and, and basically, I think they just wanted me in recruiting because, uh, you know, they wanted that eye for talent. And, yeah. Um, you know, and uh, I think I you know, had a natural eye of picking, you know, talented footballers. And that's what I looked for was talented footballers who read the play well and, Mm. You know, um, had had the traits we were looking for, generally good kicks, um, particularly with midfielders and, uh, you know, um, you know who anticipated well and who could find the footy. Um, yeah. That was basically the traits that I had a good eye for and um, I don't think they wanted to sort of uh, 
uh, lose me from that sort of area to go into other areas, you know, like football management or whatever. And um, anyhow, you know, it, it, when you have good um, staff and whatever, I think it's uh, it's great if, uh, if sometimes that gets acknowledged. And, mm. you know, probably in those 11 years, I didn't have really anybody come into my office, knock on my door and say, uh, gee, you've done a great job with the recruiting. Um, mm. There was, there was there was just nothing of it, and um, you know you sometimes just get feel that you're being taken for granted. So you know I I look for greener pastures, and I was a bit surprised no other club um, contacted me or you know inquired about me and uh, whether I was interested in um, you know a role with them. So yeah, I went in and did other things. So yeah. Uh, yeah, that's disappointing to hear from our Hawthorne supporters' perspective. Um, but I think they could absolutely deal with you now if you want my opinion on that. Because especially in the midfield, they're copping uh, some struggles at the moment. Do, do you still follow Hawthorne closely? Oh, of course. You know Hawthorne's my club, and you know I've, I've sort of uh, you know followed the journey. And you mm-hmm. know personally, I think they probably went a few years too many. You know, probably. With, you know, Clarko, he can be pretty insistent and he can be pretty, um, you know, forthright with what he wants to do. But I just think they went far too long in trading their early picks and not getting young talent in and an early young talent. Um, You know, I think they just went two or three years too long doing that, trying to, to, you know, buy another type of uh, premiership, as, as you might say, rather than... You know, being satisfied that three in a row is pretty good and four in in in, a, in an era is a great effort. You know, particularly in the modern era, and um, you know, it's time to invest again in some new talent. And I think that's you know where it's going to be a bit of a struggle for a few years until they start to invest back in that draft. Mm, mm. So, what do you make of their current list? How far do you reckon they are from competing for finals again? Well, like. Like most teams that are, you know, 9 to 18, they're competitive when they have their full list available. Mm. When you start to get injuries, as all clubs will and, and do, yeah. um, the depth of players that you call on, um, you know, are generally not to the standard. And that's where when you're doing, when I was doing the list uh, models and stuff like that and, and, and ranking our players, I think most clubs uh, are very... Uh, kind on their players with the way they rate them. You know, let, let's say you rate them an A, B and a C and developing players. I think far too many clubs wear rose-coloured glasses when it comes to uh, ranking their list. And I always thought that you needed somewhere between 14 A and B uh, players and, um, you know, up to 10 or 12, um, you know, C-grade type players that could come in and, 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 and play roles and, you know, be be good players. So, you know, 25 to somewhere around that, to, you know, 30 players capable of uh, being your depth mm. and the rest in developing players and rookies um, in all types. So, so that's generally a, a model of uh, what I say. And when you generally rank the premiership team, you'll find that they have around about that type of uh, a model in terms of player rankings mm, mm. yeah interesting um is there, is there anyone in the current team that stands out to you or 
has promising yeah. has a promising future. Yeah, Will Day. Yeah, Will Day looks a star to me. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, he, he's been a really good pickup, and uh, I just uh, like the way he plays. He would have been a favourite of mine uh, if I was recruiting because you can just see how well he reads the play. He's light on his feet. He's got great agility. Um, you know, he mm. kicks the ball well. So I think you know. Um, He's a player that um, will become a really good player. You know, uh, Sicily, you know, has been a big loss um, this year to them. So, look, Hawthorne, with their best list available, will compete. Um, the problem is, is when you have the injuries that they've had um, and all clubs get, then, you know, they they struggle to compete for four quarters. Yeah, yeah. So what did, the, the breaking news... Uh, over the last week was their succession plan where uh, Clarko will eventually be taken over by Sam Mitchell um, in 2023. Uh, what, what did you? What were your first thoughts on that? Oh, well, Clarko's been there, what, 18 years uh, or so, and he's won four premierships. Um, the club has to rebuild the list somewhat. Um, and so... To me, it makes a bit of sense. Um, you know, I know Clarko keeps saying he's got the energy and wants to re- rebuild again, but I think it gives opportunity. And so long as the Hawthorne board are, are realistic with Sam and give him the same mm. um, mantra that Clarko got, you know, back in 2004 when he came and, you know, he was told to play the kids to get them um, some experience and... Uh, um, understanding that with that there will be some losses and um, probably some bad losses along the journey, but um, you know, uh, hopefully the Hawthorne board is realistic as to where the Hawthorne list sits. And when you're investing in the draft again, um, you know, give the coach confidence to play those kids rather than playing for you know respectable losses or trying to get a win, you know, like um, mm. you've got to develop a list and play these kids and, and make them believe that they belong at the level. Mm. And y- you would have obviously known Sam Mitchell quite well during your time at Hawthorne. Did any um, did any traits stand out to you from him that might suggest that he could go on to be a, a quality coach one day? Well, he was a professional with everything he did, Sam. You know, Sam was one that missed you know, the, the opportunity at draftable age for a couple of years and he played at Box Hill and, you know, so he got over that disappointment of missing out on the draft and, you know, uh, just through his dedication and um, will to uh, be successful, uh, he got himself drafted to Hawthorne and, you know, he's never looked back from that moment. Um, he's such a professional um uh, the way he goes about it, and, you know, he's got a he's got a very good footy IQ. There's no doubt about that. You know, the biggest learning part that Sam will have to, um, you know, learn uh, is his ability uh, to interact with with people and to, um, you know, to be a coach that is um, uh, understands his players as Clarko did. Got know his players and what they're capable of and the good coaches do that they mm. they don't treat everybody the same with the same thing everybody's different and uh, you've got to get to know your players what they're capable of and what turns them on you know and what turns them off um, 
stands pretty abrupt and pretty straight to the point, and um, that's probably an area that he needs to soften in as a, as a senior coach. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch how this transpires now. Um, I have no doubt in my mind that uh, Sam Mitchell will become a quality coach. Everything I've heard um, about him is uh, positive and he should come in and, yeah, the the extra year, I think, coaching at Box Hill should do him some good as well. Um, yeah, well, that'll be interesting how that plays out because I personally think that he'll be in charge next year. Yeah, yeah, he could be as well. That's a, Yeah, exactly right. That's another possibility. So I guess time will tell. Time will tell. Yeah. Uh, thank you for your insightful uh, view on uh, your career and the game as it is today, the Hawthorne Footy Club as well. Um, what keeps you busy these days now? Uh, look, I'm business development manager for a company called The Drain Man. Um, you may have seen the ads on or heard the ads on radio and yep. seen some of the ads on TV. Yeah. Um, I play a bit of a starring role at the front of the uh, of the ad. Um, so, yeah, look... Um, yeah, it's a it's a really good uh, group here, and uh, enjoying the time until uh, retirement, and um, yeah, sit back and uh, smell the roses uh, in a in a few years' time. Absolutely. So, like I said, you were the high flying Gary Buckenara, then you became the the list guru, the uh, talent guru, and now you're the drain man. So you've, like I said, you've <laughs> done it. You've done it all, haven't you? <laughs> Yeah, uh, enjoyed the enjoyed the ride, and um, yeah, it's um, yeah. Hopefully, uh, you know, footy continues to kick on. Um, you know, love AFL footy. It's been uh, good to me. Um, it's been a journey, and um, yeah, uh, hopefully, um, you know, the game prospers. And once this COVID is over, uh, you know, we can all get a bit of freedom back. Yeah, absolutely. I second that. You're an absolute legend of the game, Gary Buckinara. Thank you for your time. No worries, Nick. Good on you. Back in the